This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, the Bucks made a couple of moves uh, since we actually uh, did the mailback portion of this podcast that you're going to hear in just a minute. Um, in order is the way they were announced, at least. They reached an agreement or signed, I guess, um, Keanu Neal, who is a safety uh, that actually plays some linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. He began with the Atlanta Falcons, was a rival of the Bucks. I can still remember, I think, that the, the, the nastiest hit that Mike Evans ever took was on a uh, it was on a, either a Monday night or a Sunday night game from Neal. He managed to hang on to the pass and took one right under the chin. Uh, physical guy, in a box safety, if you will. He's had over 400 tackles in his career. Like I said, physical enough to play linebackers so he will certainly add some depth uh and, and much needed run support uh, having lost jordan whitehead to the new york jets and then uh another thing that we had written about and i anticipated uh wrote about it just the other day uh, the bucks did come in an agreement with blaine gabbert their backup quarterback uh one year i think about the same as last year two million dollars as far as uh, his base salary goes at least he can earn more if he plays and, you know, we'd had questions about Kyle Trask and what his role would be and sort of why they would, you know, use Blaine Gabbert again. And all I can say is that Tom Brady changes everything. Um, you know, before Tom Brady decided to unretire, Blaine Gabbert was going to compete with Kyle Trask for the starting job and probably would have won it, quite frankly. Um, but at least, at least Trask would have been in a position uh, to try to compete for that and win. And if he didn't, you would think he'd be the presumptive backup. Well, when Brady came back, obviously all of that changed. And, and they, they needed four quarterbacks, and it's going to be the same four quarterbacks that they went with last year. Uh, and Gabbert's role uh, is such that, you know, this is a zero-sum game again with, with Brady coming back. I mean, it's Super Bowl or bust. It's Todd Bowles' first year. We know that. Um, but Gabbert has helped Brady, and he helped him learn the offense. He has a role during the week in dissecting some of the defensive uh, situations. And um, there's a trust there built between those two. And when you're talking about the greatest quarterback of all time, it's not unlike uh, when Peyton Manning you know, would prefer Jim Sorge in that room. They each have a job to do. He's comfortable with Blaine. Blaine has played a lot of football, seen a lot of football, knows this offense inside and out, although it has certainly morphed with Brady over the last two years. Um, but that means probably another redshirt year for Kyle Trask, which will be tough. We'll see what they do during practice because – Gabbert, as the backup, would typically get most of the reps, even if it's on the scout squad. And usually when Brady takes a day off, Gabbert gets the number one reps. Maybe that changes. Maybe uh, Kyle Trask gets a little more involved uh, in some of the practice situations. But um, that's the way they're going to go. There was a little bit of a contract um, dispute, if you will, a little bit of a separation in, in terms of value. But they, they obviously narrowed that, and, and he essentially signs for what he played for last year. So um, that's – pretty much what we expected to happen it did and it's just another one of the bucks free agents that is back on board as they continue to get the band back together hello friends walk with us as we enjoy the beautiful azaleas in the dogwoods across amen corner to the butler cabin and tiger woods tees off at ten thirty-four at augusta national for a tradition like no other the masters did Can you, you see, believe it did you see the crowds at his practice round on wednesday <laughs> i mean 
what's it going to be like when it counts, right? Like, like is any other golfer? This is what I want to know. So nobody draws like Tiger Woods, and I mean, given his story, it's it's phenomenal, right? And and there are some guys on the tour that have only had glimpses of this. I mean, he won the Masters, you know, a few years ago before his accident, which is still one of the greatest accomplishments I think ever. Um, but what must it be like? Like in some respects. I think it would be great if you're another golfer that normally would have a decent sized crowd and you're like playing and no one's there. Like it's just you, it's the course, you know, no pressure. And then there's another part of me that says, well, wait a minute, what am I, chopped liver? I mean, this guy comes back on the tour for it. It's unbelievable. It's the Beatles are over there. And the noise, you're going to hear the, you know, the sound through the pines, you know, and all of that. It's going to, it's a different sound. You know, if he does anything, it's going to explode. I wonder what that's like for the other golfers. It, I mean, it's the roar of the crowd, like if Tiger sinks a yeah. big putt or, yeah. you know, makes, makes a tremendous a shot. chip shot or something. Yeah. You know, it's that roar that everyone around the 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 course is, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've been there for a couple of those tournaments in the past where, I mean, Tiger does something and, and everyone knows it immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you said, it's a different sound. It's not, I mean, you'll hear, you know, crowds roar at big plays or big putts or shots, but. When Tiger does it, it's different. And if you're Louis Ostusen or uh, the the guy from Chile that's playing with him today, mm-hmm. it's completely different. That's that that's for sure. And and I think that you know Ustazen, who has played with Tiger before, I believe, um, he's very low key. He's he's a very unflappable guy. And it was, I think I don't think the pairing is accidental. Let's put it that way. I think him and Louis obviously get along, but I think. I think it's one of those things. Like, if you to put him with, I don't know, Patrick Reed, you know what I mean? Like, it might have been different, right? Mm-hmm. Or Sergio, you know? Um, but I think I think he's with the perfect guy in Usheisen. So, I, listen, and people may scoff at this, and maybe, maybe he shoots 85. I don't know. Tiger Woods does not enter a tournament he doesn't think he can win. And if there is one course that he has any advantage on, whether he hits it 300 yards or, or not, it's it's this one. It's Augusta National. This course, uh, he has knows all the the places not to hit the ball. And as much as anything, when I watch this tournament, it's about where you miss. You know what I mean? If you miss on certain places, you're taking a five or a six. You know, it just doesn't matter. Like if you miss the wrong place on this course, it will absolutely punish you. But if he's got the putter going, um, and you know he's he's hitting some greens or hitting some fairways. This is the kind of course that, you know, it, it, again, I, I still am, I marvel at the fact that he can walk for four days uh, through these hills and things uh, with given the accident that he suffered. It could have potentially, you know, um, killed him and or, um, you know, it led to his leg being amputated. But he has come back from that, and um, it's, it's incredible. It's so great for golf, man. It's so, it's so cool that he's going to tee off. And, again, I don't maybe, – maybe after five, six holes we go, hmm Wish he hadn't left me with that image, but I don't think so. Tiger Woods would not be playing. I believe this. Tiger Woods would not be playing if he thought he was going to embarrass himself or if he thought he had no chance to win. I don't think he would play in, in that circumstance. He has too much respect for the game. I completely agree. But the other thing Tiger does at the Masters is when he gets into trouble, there's no player in history that's ever gotten out of trouble no. at the Masters better than him. How many You're shots right. from under a tree in the pine needles is he oh. putting within feet of the cup? I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah, he he just knows that course so well and plays it well. Yeah, um, you know I'm I'm excited to watch. I hope he can make the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. no clue if he has a shot to win it or not. Sure, in his mind, sure, but hope he can make the weekend so we can see him play four rounds this weekend. 
Yeah, be great. Well, we've got uh, Major League Baseball starting on Thursday. Some games, one game's already canceled between, or not canceled, but postponed till Friday. The Yankees and the Red Sox were supposed to play. They're going to run into weather. You, do you think you, you want a dome or not? Well, um, at least it's not going to wash out opening day at the Trop. We know that. Yes, that'll be tomorrow. We'll have Mark Topkin on tomorrow to preview the Rays season. Mm-hmm. It's you know I've been reading a lot of the power rankings and prognosticators and the baseball experts, and they're not picking the Rays to win the division. And I think that's you, just okay by the Rays. I think it's fine for them. And I, I and look, uh, Toronto is the glamour team now, right? They're the, they're the ones that everybody's on, right? In the American League East, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Toronto's generally viewed as the top. The Yankees are second in some of them. Mm-hmm. I've seen the Rays as low as fourth. That's incredible. Some of them. And granted, they've said fourth, but making a wild card because there's three wild card teams this year. So you could finish fourth in the division and still make the playoffs. Sure, and the East has some really good teams, and and um, the Rays are. Gonna, I, I I think it, I, you're probably right. It probably suits them just fine that you know that they're not picked by everybody. Regardless, I I'll say this now. I'll give you my picks tomorrow with Mark. We'll get his as well. Are you predicting 100 losses again? No, not no. That was that was only a couple of years ago. I predicted hundred losses, missed it by that much. I think that was the year they won like ninety seven or something. Um, I am going. I am going to go out on a limb and not make a raise prediction, but I'm going to tell you right now that the Los Angeles Dodgers will win the World Series. There's just I, I, this is not a better team. This is not uh, out there that I see. You know, barring some catastrophe, uh, run by Andrew Friedman, obviously, but. Um, they do the rich just get get better, and they won over a hundred themselves last year. I, I, I think they win the best the record for sure. But yeah, you start yeah. putting three and five and seven game series. Well, okay, yeah, you, you can lose those, but I, I think they're the best team going in, and, and should be the number one team or the highest in the power rankings, whatever you want to say. Yeah, John Romano had his power rankings in the Tampa Bay Times. You can read down on TampaBay.com. He had the Dodgers. Number one, I think he had the race somewhere in the top ten, maybe not in the top five, though, as I recall. Um, but check that out in Tampa Bay Times. All right, we got uh, lots of questions left over from our mailbag. We only got to a few. Some of those were with the race. Um, not much is going on as I record this podcast in the afternoon on Wednesday. But uh, stay tuned. You know, um, the whole organization could change hands in, in a little while, so you don't know what's going to happen there. But uh, they're still proceeding. I think they pivoted now a little bit. To the draft, they're having lots of uh, players in. They have a essentially a local, um, you know, visitation type deal uh, with with players from this area that are allowed to visit. Doesn't count against the thirty um, that they can have in. So a um, lot of work being done right now in the draft. As we are some, what is it? Uh, March. Uh, it's going to be no, it's uh, April, April right now. April. Yeah, we're through March. It's going to be April twenty fifth through the or twenty eighth through the thirtieth. So we're three weeks 20, away. Three weeks 21 away. 21 days away, yeah, from today. So how about that? All right, let's get started then. All right, Jeff will lead us off here. And he says, it looks like the Bucks think that their team that their team last year had everything they needed except for the offensive line depth. I disagree. Is it just me or do they need more pieces on defense? They really haven't ha- been that good. 100% correct thoughts, Rick. Yeah, they need more than offensive line depth. I would agree with you on that. And uh, and I do think that they're going to have to create some of that on the offensive line because they lost Ali Marpet. Um, you know, Robert Hainsey, I'm not, I'm not sure. You're hoping to develop some of the guys that you've drafted in the past. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, maybe, the, maybe the starters are on the roster. Maybe they're not. Um, 
but they they you know they got back Ryan Jensen. I mean they they have at least uh, three fifths of their offensive line, and I guess four if you include some of the deals they've made. But I would agree that offensive line is a big one. The defensive line, I think, is where you're going to see them go early and often in the draft, and that can be an edge rusher, more likely uh, looking for interior help because that's where it starts is on the defensive line, particularly with Todd Bowles' um, defense, Casey Rogers, the defensive line coach, co-defensive coordinator with Larry Foote. They'll be preparing the scripts and the game plans for Todd Bowles. And, um, you know, you have a great player, a rare talent in Vita Vea. You've brought back William Golston. You know, in Damakon Sue, I've said this, I, I don't know that he's going to uh, come back. He has said he wants to. That might be a negotiation thing. But I think now that we're three weeks away from the draft, I, I would be surprised if they sign him at this point. I think they'll wait because there's a good likelihood or at least a, a good possibility that their first pick overall is a defensive tackle. And if you do that, um, not that you want to pressure that guy into playing, but they're picking 27th, but you want to create the opportunity for him to start. you know. And if you have Domicon Sue, who's not going to play for free, uh, he's played for $9 million and $8 million, it's difficult to take a player like Domicon Sue and say, you know, um, we re-signed you and you're, the, you're our starter. Because sometimes the salary tells you who the starter is. I mean, there's a reason why you pay guys a certain amount of money to start and other guys a certain amount of money to back up. And even though it would be great to bring in a guy, let him learn behind Sue, all of that, you really, you really want to create an opportunity for him. So if they draft the defensive tackle in the first round, I think it's, they're less likely to sign Sue if, in fact, that's even in the cards right now because I don't know where their negotiations if there are, if there are any talks. It sounded like he was lobbying to come back, but that, doesn't, that, that likely means that there's not enough action um, from the Bucks side on him, and, and you know we'll see. Uh, but I, I think they have to get better on defense. I think last year the injuries to Jason Pierre-Paul um, and others, I, I think it, it forced them – you know, to play, well, in fact, I know it did, that Joe Tryon Shoinka uh, had to learn a lot of different positions. I mean, they played him everywhere. If you watch, they played him an outside linebacker. At times, they played him an inside linebacker. Uh, at times, he would drop into coverage. Um, you know, he, he was all over the place. And I guess the good thing is he's versatile. The bad thing is he didn't get to learn one position. And, you know, with Jason Pierre-Paul, most likely not resigned. Then I think Joe Tron Swinka hopefully will just stand at that outside linebacker position. Um, but but again, you know that opportunity needs to be there for these guys to develop. Um, and so I would just say watch the draft. But you know it all starts up front. They got to stop the run. Todd Bowles is your head coach now. They're going to play a complimentary game. I think you'll see um, a more emphasis on running the football. I think you'll see them help their defense. Um, by not going as many three and outs. Uh, and that doesn't mean they won't throw it. They may have games where they throw it 45 times, but they may also have games where they run it 30 times because that's the best way to win and uh, the best way to help them on the other side of the ball. So, yeah, I, they definitely need more. I mean, you always need more, right? I mean, the thing about bringing back these guys is that you're not really adding to anything. Your you're, you're status quo. And the status quo has been pretty good. The last two years, you won one Super Bowl. You've won 29 games. Uh, you've won the division. So, you know, these are good players that know how to win. They're all also all a, a year older. And in the case of Chris Godwin, they're coming off an ACL. So I'm always one that, like, okay, who, you know, everybody else gets got better, right? The year before, 
What happened after the Bucs won the Super Bowl? They brought everybody back. 22 guys, 22 starters all back. Never been done since 79, whatever. Well, you know what? The Rams got better. The Rams said, hey, we need a new quarterback, and they got Matthew Stafford, right? Even during the season, they got better with Odell Beckham Jr., um, you know, uh, with Vaughn Miller. So teams are, are going to keep pushing the envelope and keep trying to get better while the Bucs are sort of, sort of treading water a little bit. And, and look, it was, like I said, it was good enough to win a Super Bowl, good enough to win the NFC South, maybe good enough again. Um, but if you're going for the ring, you're going to have to bring in, you're going you're gonna to have to have some, some, some new contributors or some guys like a Joe Tryon Schwenka who take off in their second year. You need, you need Devin White to have the best year he's ever had. You need Sean Murphy Bunting not to fall down when you're covering Cooper Cup in a critical situation. Um, you need Antoine Winfield Jr. not to let him run by you. Um, you know, so everybody has to play better, and, and, and then you need to add some pieces too, which I think they'll do in the draft. So, no, they're not a finished product. Um, no team is this time of year, um, but I would agree 100% correct in this answer that uh, it's not enough for just offensive line depth. Ellis tweeted us, Will the Bucks' recent coaching change have an impact on their selections in the upcoming NFL draft? Well, probably not a dramatic one, only because you know the guys picking the players who, who, who obviously get the input from the coaches are the same, right? It's Jason Light, it's John Spytek, uh, you know, it's Mike Beal, it's those guys, and that has not changed. So they evaluate the draft. Um, it's their job to set the board. Uh, it's their job to to you know move up or down is what Jason Light has done. He's moved up a lot of times uh, in the draft since he's been here as GM. So really, I, I think all of that is is stayed the same. Now um, you do communicate with coaches, and you know every every coach is different. I, I think you know Todd Bowles has been around Bruce Arians a long time. I don't, they don't see the game exactly the same way, but there's a lot of carryover. Obviously, a lot of similarities. And Bruce Arians now is in the front office, right? So he's going to have his input as well. So I think it's less likely that there'll be a difference in draft philosophy. But don't be surprised if you see an emphasis on both the defensive and the offensive lines. I, I, I know Todd Bowles enough to know that, that he believes, as, as many do, uh, probably Bruce Arians too, that you know football is one, the closer you are to the ball, the, the more impact you have on the game. I mean, it's just the reality of it. And you have to win up front, and, and that's on both sides. So they're going to try to protect Tom Brady. They're going to try to get to the quarterback and stop the run first and foremost. And that, to me, with a defensive coach, they, they tend to trend towards defense. Um, doesn't mean they don't like offensive players. Could take a wide receiver with the first pick or a running back. But I, I do think that you're going to see them try to fortify both sides of the, of the defense and the offensive line. That's just my impression of what Bowles is about. All right, John had tweeted us, with Bruce Arians out and Blaine Gabbard as yet unsigned, is there a greater likelihood that Kyle Trask becomes QB number two this season? It would make sense if he's expected to be a serious contender to start in 2023. Well, as we stand here right now, uh, and again, this is uh, a Wednesday afternoon, we're, we're doing this podcast for Thursday, uh, Kyle Trask is the number two. He's, he's the de facto number two. I know they re-signed Ryan Griffin. Obviously, Tom Brady is the number one. Uh, the question is, do you bring back, you know, Blaine Gabbert? And the answer is yes, they want to. And more importantly, I think Tom Brady wants them to. And that, that's not a knock against Kyle Trask. I'm 100% with you that, you know, for him to have a complete 
you know, another red shirt year is not going to help his development. Um, you know, he went out there early at every practice. He stayed late. He worked on his body. He's changed his body. Uh, he's not as heavy footed as he used to be. He's going to continue to work hard, you know, the way he did before he became the starter at Florida and in high school when he wasn't starting behind De'Ara King. That's just his makeup. That's his, that's his DNA, right? Um, and so he'll have to earn uh, the right to be number two. And, and that job, you know, it, it requires you. You're one heartbeat away, so there's that. But it also comes with, you know, the ability to get some more reps in practice. I mean, the starter gets all of the reps, let's be honest. I mean, Tom Brady's going to take all the reps – once they get to the regular season. Um, but your backup can run some scout squad stuff. And last year, the last two years, Tom Brady has been taking about one day off a week. And so that one day, you're running your offense. You're running with the number ones. You're trying to um, stay sharp in case you have to play, but also get everybody else ready. Um, you're running the game plan. You're running the Bucks game plan. And that's what you want the, the position for Kyle Trask to be in. The sooner the better when he's running the Bucks offense and not – a look squad from the Carolina Panthers or the Kansas City Chiefs or whomever. Um, but he hadn't even been able to do that. Uh, you know, that's, that's gone to Gabbard. So um, it would definitely benefit him to be the number two. But I would just say that, you know, you thought that Tom Brady was retired. He, he came back. He surprised everybody. The window has expanded by one year. And you have to be prepared to have that guy. If, if Brady has to miss a game, you got to win. If Brady misses two games, you got to win at least one of them, uh, and so on. It'll be ultimately be up to Kyle. He can still win the job, um, but I don't think you go into it saying you just don't hand it to him. He didn't do enough last year that would warrant saying, you know what, he's going to be our QB of our future. We need to make him QB two now, um, simply because we're worried about you know him being ready in twenty twenty three. To hell with that. You know, we're they're they're all focused on 2022. As long as TB12 is out there, it, it's a zero sum game. It's win now, all cost. Um, you know, all hands on deck. All those cliches. So Trask is just going to have to find his role, whatever that role might be, and it could be as the number three again. And he might not get a helmet again, but it, ultimately it's up to him. He's been in the program now for a year. He knows the offense, and he'll get an opportunity if he can convince the coaches and Tom Brady, because those guys have a role during the week uh, that he can help Brady, he can, he can step in and play and play at a high level. If Brady were to go down, um, then he'll win the job. But I, I don't think it's a given. And it makes sense that you would do that and develop him, except for the fact that you know, you're back in, in the uh, win, win right now mode. Um, and so he has to earn it. But right now, Blaine Gabbard has not resigned. Uh, there's gonna, they're going to bring four quarterbacks to the mix. I think he's better than Ryan Griffin for sure. So right now he is the number two, and we'll see if he can hold it. All right, John had tweeted us. If the Buccaneers knew since Tom Brady returned that Bruce Arians wouldn't be their head coach in 2022 or 2023, isn't it a little disingenuous to push a two-year season ticket commitment for fans before the big reveal that Arians was leaving? Well, I think if I'm not mistaken, they I think they they may have even begun some of that. Um, well, they definitely began it after Tom Brady came back, and that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's be honest nobody nobody you know signs up to buy season passes because they want to watch a guy coach. So if you want to talk about disingenuous, I think what's disingenuous is it, it, it's what people have said. It's just good business. I don't know that it's good business. They say it's good business to maximize 
that window, which is, hey, Tom Brady is back. Get on board. But if you're getting on board, you have to get on board for two years. because, And they know that, that the odds of him playing beyond this season, first of all, they, don't, they can't control it. He's going to be a free agent. He's not going to sign a contract extension. So they got him for one year. And, and so, you know, they're, they're basically maximizing that opportunity that they weren't sure they would have or thought they didn't have and, and trying to get everybody on board, the new people at least, or the ones that seats are available for two years. It, it, it's disingenuous to say, as they did, that, hey, we're just trying to create a good home field advantage. You know, we want, we want the Bucks and Raymond James to be a unique place to play, and so we want all those lower bowls to be filled with Bucks fans. I got news for you. There's something called the secondary market, and those Bucks fans are selling a game or two to pay for the rest of the games. They're going to sell it to the Green Bay Packer fans. They're going to sell it um, to the Kansas City Chiefs fans. They're going to sell it to the Cincinnati Bengal fans or whatever um, because they know they can get top dollar that would, would take care of them the rest of the way. So it's disingenuous to say you're doing this for some kind of perceived home field advantage. You're doing it because Tom Brady is back and you can charge double. You can say, hey, 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 you want to see him this year? You got to pay for next year. That's called having the hammer and using it. So if you want to call it disingenuous, they call it good business. I call it opportunistic in having the hammer uh, and using it, and, and that's what's going on here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. This The two-year commitment only applies to new season ticket holders. That is correct. If you had already yes. renewed, yeah, it, your, it your contract is Tom what it Brady is. Was gone. Mm-hmm. You're still, it's only for the new ones or those that – had season tickets, Tom Brady retired, I gave him up, and now I want him back because Tom Brady's back. That's correct. If you have a season pass, whatever your season pass says, you're fine. They're not making you renew for an extra year just because um, Tom Brady is back. But but for those who are trying to buy season passes or who let their season pass expire, if you want back in the club, you have to buy two years. And, you know, that's, again, that's not the whole stadium. It's probably a small percentage of the stadium. But people thought Tom Brady was retired, and I got to believe that had a big impact on the renewals or the lack of renewals. And now that he's back, guess what? Now all of a sudden it's time to pay up. You got to buy. You know, you, you you missed your window. You could have you could have bought one year until Tom Brady came back, and now it's two. So I just think that you know they're they're being opportunistic when they can, where they can, and they'll say it's you know for competitive reasons. Some will say it's good business. I just think I just think they're being opportunistic, and um, I think it's all of the above. Yeah, I mean, there's I a mean, little I, I element think the of home all field. I mean, that's a spin. It's a total spin, and it's a hopeful side. I don't want to say effect, but a, mm-hmm. you know, a a pleasant surprise or you know, good good fortune that'll happen is that hopefully it's more Bucks fans in the lower bowl. But that's I, yeah, I, I don't think that's the reason they're doing it. That's spin, but right. Right, right, right. But you know, hey, they, like I said, it's it's a capitalist society, man. It's good. It's a good business if you own it, and they own it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving thirty-three percent with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a fifteen-stem bunch of tulips for just nine ninety-nine each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Joe tweeted, 
Any chance that the Glazers would give Tom Brady part ownership when he retires? And if so, would he be interested? I'm sure he could be a great help with decision-making for the future. I regret I didn't get a chance to ask this question. And uh, I was not in West Palm Beach. I don't think it got asked this way, but it needs to be asked. Um, Tom Brady, I think, is, is playing today or playing this year because whatever plans he had, I believe, fell through. And, and I do think that there were discussions. It doesn't mean that he was going to pull the trigger or that Stephen Ross, the Miami Dolphins owner, was actually going to uh, acquiesce. But there were uh, discussions, at least, about him um, having some kind of minority share in the Miami Dolphins. That didn't transpire. Um, he's got a good friend that's a, minor, a minority owner in that franchise uh, that he has hung out with as well. Um, so it didn't happen. What did happen was the Glazers would be naive not to know that he has some ownership interest. And so the question is, if Tom Brady wants to own part of a franchise, why then, if you're the Glazers, wouldn't you say, hey, um, you know what? You know what would be really cool is to, is to link you to our franchise for the rest of your life as, as a part owner. Um, now, I think, I think that has value. How do you monetize that value? You know what I mean? He's not going to take a front office role. He's not going to be a GM, hell of a recruiter maybe as an owner. Um, but he's, he's, he represents you wherever he goes. He's, he's part of the Bucks ownership that's got to have some intrinsic value, if not real value. Uh, but, but, and here comes the but, this is a family business, man. This is, this is their biggest business is Man U, and the second big, biggest one is the Bucks, And, you know, no one owns any of the Bucks that I know of except the family. So, you know, it's hard to get those five or six people, whatever it is, to agree. And Linda is currently, um, you know, they're all co-owners, but obviously she takes the lead. So I don't know that they just give away uh, or let him buy into a percentage because I don't think they're aching, certainly not aching to sell a pieces of, of, of the Bucks to anyone. Um, would it be different with Tom? Maybe. Would, would I consider, and I don't know how much he's looking to buy. You know, this is the other thing. But, like, would I consider finding a way to link my organization to Tom Brady long after he retires? Absolutely. And if the Glazers haven't asked him if they have an ownership interest with what's been in the media, which what, with what we know has sort of been confirmed uh, by Dolphin sources, um, I, I think they're remiss. Uh, and it would certainly show just a total unwillingness to share any part of their team with anyone. Because if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna have him in the club, you're not having anybody in the club that's not named Glazer. So I think it's a good idea. They sh- they should definitely consider it. I don't know that they've asked him, um, but it's a great thought. And, and as soon as I get a chance to ask him, I will ask the Glazers. I will. All right, Brian had tweeted us with the Saints trading for another first round pick this year. Does this move by the Saints clearly believe? They mean that they're only a few pieces away from competing in the NFC this year, especially with their dominance of the Buccaneers recently and the limited high-quality quarterback? Yeah, it means one of two things. Uh, I, first of all, I do think that they believe that they're in it this year, and, and they have every reason to believe that. Um, it could mean, number one, it could mean that they want to package those picks and address the quarterback situation. Could mean that. Um and so they would have plenty of currency to move, you know, almost anywhere they want to in the first round. More likely, in my opinion, uh, it means that 
they have to replace some pieces they lost in free agency, which includes a tackle on the offensive line, um, perhaps uh, maybe even the safety position, uh, defensive line, that sort of thing. I think they know they have a good football team. They should know it because, you know, they've kicked these guys' butts uh, every year in the regular season for the last three years. So, you know, when you've won six, seven in a row against these guys, what would make you think you can't win the NFC South? I think this is about them just sort of trying to shore up some some holes and some losses through free agency. And it would sort of surprise me if these two picks get packaged to – you know, to move up to get a quarterback. I, I mean, look, they've guaranteed Jameis Winston $21 million. Now, to you and me, Steve, that's not a lot of money. I, mean, I recognize that. But to the Saints, it is. Um, and you're paying them starting – starting. I was kidding. You're paying starting money to, to – uh, That was a joke. James, yeah, well, yeah. You're paying starting money. Well, you have 25 jobs, so it might not be much to you. Uh, you're paying him starting money, and I think you recognize that he's good enough to get you where you need to go. Otherwise, why are you guaranteeing him $21 million? doesn't mean that it's his job in perpetuity. They did bring in the Red Rocket, Red Rifle, Andy Dalton, so he can jump in at a moment's notice. But I, I think they think they have a winning hand. I think they believe, as they, as they look at the NFC South the same way the Bucks do, it's, look, Carolina doesn't look like they're going to be very impactful this year. Atlanta um, you know, has Marcus Mariota. They got rid of Matt Ryan, who's in Indianapolis now. They're certainly signaling a rebuild. They may be looking for a quarterback as well. Uh, none of these quarterbacks look like they're going to jump in and start right away uh, necessarily. So it's, you know, if you're the Saints and you've dominated this division, you didn't win it last year, you still swept the Bucks. Uh, why wouldn't you think you have a chance to win? And why wouldn't you take those two number one draft picks and put them on the field, you know, get yourself a tackle, get yourself – whatever other needs that you have, safety, uh, uh, you know, defensive line, whatever it is, and, and go and move on because you've owned these guys. You know, it's unfortunate for them that the last game Drew Brees played in the playoffs, they're up seven, about to go up 14, and they get a fumble at the, at the Bucks' 40-yard line that's run back by Devin White. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. caused it, and uh, I think Cook fumbled it. And in and, and a way, the Bucks went, and they never looked back. Um, who knows what happens if they win that game? They they may go to the Super Bowl themselves and beat Green Bay. So, you know, that changed their history. But as far as, like, when they line up against Tampa Bay, um, they dominate them, particularly on defense. You know, the Bucks don't score against them. I mean, they, they didn't score a touchdown the last time they played them. So if they're doing anything but trying to get players to win it all, I think they're, they're mistaken because I, I think they can be a factor in this division. I think they can win the division. All right, we'll switch to baseball here. And Thad had tweeted, feels like the Rays infield organizational depth. Brandon Lau is probably the next player to go. Not this year, though, he says. Almost zero positional flexibility, extreme right-left splits, prone to extended slumps. He feels like Austin Meadows of the infield. Not Rays prototype and might bring back a decent prospect or two. What a great comment. Um, I think Brandon Lau is underrated as a player. Um and I think a lot of it just stems from his failures in the postseason. Mm-hmm. The dude hit 39 bombs as a second baseman. And and for my money, he's not a bad second baseman at all. I think he's I think he's okay. I think he's sometimes better than okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like and and could could they have a guy in 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 uh in the minors is Bruhan or whoever it is 
Could they have somebody that could come up and, and, and play it better than him? Perhaps, but you know what they're not going to do? They're probably not going to swing it better than him. I mean, you know, take out any 162 games and, and show me what his production has been. Uh, the guy can carry them for a month at a time. It's unfortunate that he has had two years now in the postseason where his bat just absolutely had a hole in it. And I, and I would go back and say this. Look at his first at-bat in the playoffs last year. He couldn't hit a ball harder. I think if that falls in, his whole attitude changes. Um, and so he's had some bad luck, too. You know, you, as, as Joe Madden says, we're, we're, we're producers, not directors. You can't guide the ball into the hole. But I'm, I'm a Brandon Lau guy. Like, I, I think it's going to take a lot to get him out of there. Could he be the next guy out? Maybe. I mean, but tell me who's taking his place and who's going to have that kind of offensive production and do a pretty good job at second base. Am I wrong about that, Steve? I, I think he – I agree. I think he's underrated. He is streaky as a hitter. He's definitely streaky, yeah. Uh, but in the field, he's a, definitely a plus infielder, Solid which is why – I mean, the Rays yeah. wouldn't be playing him every day if it wasn't. No, no. Now, if you have some young guys develop and are ready to come in, I mean, his contract with this year is $4 million. Mm-hmm. It goes up from here. It's like uh, five something next year, and then eight, ten, and eleven, which is a relative bargain if he were a free agent and you were paying because they signed him. Remember to that twenty-five million dollar deal or whatever when he was young, and yep. everybody went who? And it turned out they they knew what they were getting, and they locked him up for multiple years. And just his production in the last couple of years, if that guy was a free agent right now with those numbers, he'd well exceed what's on his contract. Mm-hmm. The other thing last year, and you know, he got some criticism for this, is he started slow. Yes, and he did. every player goes through a slump in a season at least once. Mm-hmm. His was to when, you, the when season. you do it at the beginning of the season, it's <laughs> yes. pronounced because you have no numbers to pad it with. And he came off the the postseason where he was slumping, yes. so kind of like was one continuation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, is Wander Franco going anywhere? No, no. Um, you know, is Taylor Walls or Vidal Brujan, or are they going to supplant Yandy Diaz at third? Or, you know, you know, maybe if they had signed Freddie Freeman to a big contract, maybe you were looking to dump some salary and Brendan Lau would be gone. But, you know, I think you're going to fix first and third before you touch second. I would agree. In this infield. I would agree. And, and Lau, if he has to, and I think he's done this before, he's played first base. Has he not? Yeah, he's done a little on a, bit. But on I mean, occasion. I, they want him to play second. I mean, and when I yeah. say fix, I don't mean like G Man Choi is not good or Yandy Diaz isn't good, but right, if you're right, looking right. to upgrade a position, right. it's going to be the corner infield, not the center infield. Not the point. middle, yeah. And you want him to work with Wander. You would like to have a steady up the middle presence there, those two guys. So, yeah. I'm, now, I'm that a being more... said, someone really wants Brendan Lau and offers a deal they can't refuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like we talked about yesterday. I believe the Rays have a value on every single player, and if, if a team comes offering more than what they think the player is valued at, they will make a move. Everyone except Franco. Yes, at this point, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, five, six years from now, we'll see. But right, right now, right. yeah, I, I don't think Franco's touchable. Right. All right, Randall had tweeted us, can the Rays' rotation last a full 162-game season? Or are the arms still too young, and do they need to make a trade at some point for more veteran arms that can last 175 to 200 innings? You know, I, the, the easy answer is no, it won't last. The easy answer is that with, with pitching these days, the velocity, the innings, they have youth, which is on their side, but then Tyler Glass now was young too, uh, and he's going to miss 
parts over all of his second year with Tommy John. I don't think any pitching staff is immune from injury. And just because they're young, you hope you hope more likely than not that they'll have some, some time uh, you know, before that were to occur. But 162 games, I mean, has there been a team over the last few years that has used more pitchers, more starting pitchers, more relieving mm-hmm. than, in, than, the, than the Rays? It, it's just sort of what they do. Rather than a guy go 200 innings, they'd like to have a bunch of guys go 100 innings. Well, and that's the thing. So most of the time, Teams don't want a pitcher throwing more than 20% more innings than they threw the year before. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, Shane McClanahan threw 123 innings last year. Right. You're not going to see him throw more than 150 this year. Correct. Ryan Yarbrough threw 155. He was the most on the staff last year. Mm-hmm. So maybe he gets up to, to 180. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what Corey Kluber, I don't have those stats in front of me. I could look them up. but Probably even less for him because he's an older player. Yeah, I think the Rays are going to... Instead of five pitchers trying to get 175 to 200 innings, it's going to be seven or eight starters. Right. You're, you're, I mean, Shane Boz is not starting in the rotation because he's hurt right now. When he mm-hmm. comes back, he's going to be a part of this. Uh, Josh Fleming may get some starts this year for you. Sure, um, you know you're gonna. It's not going to be even if the whole pitching staff stays healthy. It's not going to be five starters this year. You're going to see them use more than that, and you're going to see them use some openers at times too for certain matchups. But you know. You've got McClanahan, you've got Patino, you've got Yarborough, you've got Kluber, which one, uh, Rasmussen. You know, those are your five to start at this point, or your so-called starters. Like I said, you may have an opener open in front of them occasionally. But you're going to see Shane Boz. You're going to see Josh Fleming. You're going to see others in there. It's not going to be five starters this year, even if they stay healthy, because they're going to watch innings. If anything, right. and it's not a positive, but Shane Boz having that surgery and not going to really make the team till May – it may loosen some of those restrictions on him because he's only pitching five months of the season to get to however many innings they think he, he should pitch this year. And if um last year he had only 13 innings in the big leagues, I don't know what he had in the minors. But, you know, whatever you're going to put a restriction on, it, it's probably less restrictions because he didn't pitch the first month of the season. And so, you know, you want to add that 20% to what you had the year before. It, it, it's Like I said, it's not a good thing that he's hurt and had surgery, but – when you're only playing a part of the year, it loose, limits or loosens some of those restrictions you may put on. Yeah, once he comes back, he'll have he'll have uh, less less time to get those innings in, so you might let him go a little longer. But yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I I think it's very hard to predict that that any pitching staff is going to the rotation is going to last 162 games. There's going to be injuries, and they're going to use a lot of pitchers, and that's kind of the Rays' way. And early in the season, you're going to see pitchers not go as deep either, especially spring yeah. training was shorter. Right. So most pitchers' arms are not built up yet. Correct, yeah. All right, we'll end on this one today, and then we'll have Mark Topkin tomorrow to talk more baseball. But Craig asks, will the new CBA really help the Rays or other small markets? Still same team spending the big money. Look at Oakland where a cap and a floor would prevent that. Seems the lockout is no help for fans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of, uh, rather than put myself on the coals here, I'm going to be honest with you and say that I don't know really the CBA well enough to tell you whether or not it's going to help or hurt the Rays. Um, I know that uh, they have benefited from certain elements of it, like when players are arbitration eligible, when that clock starts. Um, Some of the secret sauce has been that for them. Um, You know, the payroll, we can ask Mark about this. It's going to be back up there probably around $60, $70 million, whatever it was. I think it's 75 right now. A little higher even then, yeah. Yep. 
So, I mean, they, uh, yeah, there are a lot of teams, a lot of teams spending considerably less than the Rays are. Baltimore is at thirty million. Yeah, Oakland's mm-hmm. at thirty-two. Pittsburgh's yeah. at thirty, almost thirty-eight. Mm-hmm. Cleveland's at f- just over forty. Which I don't get, man. The Cleveland, the Cleveland, the, the, the demise of the Cleveland Indians is really staggering to me. You know, now, that was such a good young team. And for they a while. just signed Ramirez, so I'm wondering if I think that his salary's in there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and so um, again, I I'm not. You asked me about the NFL CBA. I could tell you a lot more about it. I, I don't know that it was this was intended or you know the consequence would be bad for the Rays. I don't think it was going to be good for them, particularly when it came to, to when players are arbitration eligible and, um, and that sort of thing. Uh, and minimum salaries obviously have gone up as well. So you know, more money has to be spent there. Still a small market team, still a team that needs a stadium, one that's hopeful they'll get one. Um, you know, when some of these contracts mature, but yeah, I, I don't know that I don't know it's going to make a huge difference now, but I couldn't tell you what it's going to be in the future. All right. Great questions. Uh, in fact, uh, with respect to the CBA, we could ask Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay times. He's going to be with us on tomorrow's podcast as we talk about opening day quickly approaching here on uh, Friday against the Baltimore Orioles. Also today, a tradition like no others. 10.38 this morning, I believe it was. 10.34, 10.38, somewhere in there. 10.34 this morning, Tiger will tee off. Yeah, Tiger Woods is teeing off. So if you if you haven't quite gotten to the clock there yet, uh, make sure you run to the TV and uh, and see the ginormous crowd that's going to be following him all through his round. I'm sure it's going to be exciting. So thanks for joining us. Uh, for Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 